cleared for takeoff. Welcome to Jet Fuel, the Jets Discord podcast. As always, I am your party host, Joe Rivera. And along with me, as always, is my astute, educational, incredibly informative, and incredibly handsome co-host. He is the Jets lead capologist, none other than Matt Szilard, a.k.a. King Sliz. Sliz, say hello, my friend. What's well, good, man? Been a uh, been busy grinding away on the cap sheet, trying to to get <laughs> things working. We got some pieces moving. We got more potential pieces coming in, and yeah, there's a lot going on. We're 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 abusing the uh, the easy button, aka the void years button, and just yeah. spreading everything out, man. 2025 is gonna have a lot of dead cap. I can tell so, you that. <laughs> so let me ask you a question, Sliz. Before we get into the runway rundown and some of the more Jets related news this past week. I feel like void years kind of came out of nowhere. Like it's, it's a cap thing that teams just started using like a year and a half or two years ago. Why is that? Like it, it seems so, it, it almost seems like a cheat code on the cap. You know what I mean? Like it seems, and I understand you got to pay the bill later or whatever, but why, why do, why is this a new mechanic that teams are using so often? Yeah, it is. And I don't know exactly. So Let's be clear. It's not something that just came out of nowhere. It's been it's been a cap mechanism that's been out there for a while. I think doing doing some research on it back during the COVID the COVID times when and and that's really what the COVID dip in the cap where you know kind of year over year it's assumed cap's going to go up. We're we're still footing the bill for COVID now, right? In terms of cap still ramping up but also just with that with that year of of covid and the cap not going up that year and needing to make cap mechanics work um the void year button was pressed a lot right and we saw right. that become become really a mainstream thing when really it was a rarity prior to that um i think void years date back all the way to like um the, the Cowboys dynasty age. I know they used it back in that time. I don't, I don't know when it was added to the CBA or what, but really, really it doesn't hurt anyone per se, right? It's good for teams. It's good for players. Cause they end up um, getting all their cap, all their, all their payment up front. So what, what void years essentially are, is their quote fake years added onto the end of the contract. So for signing bonuses, um, signing bonus is a type of bonus that you can pay out. There's several different types, but signing bonuses are basically cash in hand up front at signing fully guaranteed. Cause it's all in your hand. And then it gets spread out over the duration of the contract up to a maximum of five years. So, um, with a lot of these shorter contracts, right? The jets right now are handing out a bunch of one year, two year type contracts to some of these guys, what you can do is you can introduce void years or, or we're doing this a lot with our restructuring as well. And basically those void years are fake contract years, but allows you to spread that signing bonus over a longer period of time, which in the early part of the contract reduces the annual cap hit, right? So just going with easy numbers, if you have a $10 million signing bonus, if it's spread across two years, it's $5 million on the cap sheet in both years. If you had three years of void years, it ends up being $2 million per year. And then once the contract expires, so if it was a two-year contract still, five years total, if you include the three void years, after that second year, the dead cap from those last three void years basically all hits at once. So you, you would end up with two million, two million, six million is how it works. So it allows you to basically backload and punt the cap as far out as you possibly can, which allows for more current year spending, which if the cap keeps going up, it's not as big a deal. If you're a team that's in a win now mode, then it makes a lot of sense. And you've seen the Jets and Joe Douglas use that really abuse it this offseason, probably with some contracts that we shouldn't be stretching. But that, that's a that's another story. Yeah, so you know the way the reason I think of it, I'm pretty sure the Saints did it with Drew Brees, right? They added some void years on the back of his deal before he retired. So I don't know. It just feels like a like the last. I know that it was a thing, but it felt like more of a rarity than what what teams are doing now. So uh, I don't know. We're interesting, interesting mechanic. Like I said, it feels like a cheat code. Yeah, and it's, like, it's fine because, like, like I said, you pay for it ultimately, but like. Yeah, it's getting it's all these guys those, under the cap now. It's tough. It's one of those things where people will point to it and say, oh, cap's not real. And it's like 
the bill comes due, right? right? And you just want it to come due on your terms. And, right. you know, hey, we're going to have maybe a one to two year window, hopefully two years with Aaron Rodgers. All this dead cap's going to dump into 2025, which is going to be a rebuild kind of lost year anyway, because we're trying to figure out quarterback. Right. So I think last I added it up, we're currently going to have, what was it? I think it was $20 million plus Aaron Rodgers. So $50 million in cap cap allocations on the 2025 20, financial year for players that won't be under contract. So if you're wondering how we're doing all this and where that money's going, it's all dumping into 2025 right now. Right, right. So that's a, that's a question to worry about for a season, I guess, season four of Jet Fuel, the Jets Discord podcast. But let's start with, a, let's get to the runway rundown, Sliz, and some news that broke last week. Very, very, I would say, a pretty eventful week for the Jets last week. So uh, Mecole Hardman, formerly of the Chiefs, was signed to a one-year, I want to say $6.5 million contract. So, you know, not bad. Good depth. I think that's generally what people were feeling. Nice, nice gadget player. Good. A little, he comes in cheaper than Barrios. And uh, you say to yourself, well, you know what? If he's a backup slot or he's a slot guy, your gadget guy, return man, that's, that's a pretty good deal. Right. And you really fill out the room. And then a couple hours later, you get the news that Elijah Moore is shipped over to Cleveland, Elijah Moore and a third round pick for a second round pick in return. So let's break these down piece by piece. Let's first, the Hardman deal. What were your first thoughts on the Hardman deal? I was I was a fan of it. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, the prophecy is coming true. Remember what uh, one of my bold offseason predictions was, was that the Jets are going to have three new wide receivers for the upcoming season. And now Moore is gone and they sign Hardman and you sign Lazard. And there's another move coming at some point. But first, your thoughts on the Hardman signing and what this could do for the Jets roster. Yeah, man. This might be my favorite move this offseason when you factor player talent, when you factor positional need or or just fit and need on the team, and, and especially when you factor cost. Like this is way less than I thought Hardman was gonna get on the open market. And certainly the there there are some markets that really popped and and guys were getting a bag like Nate Shepard getting five mil per, you know, the DT market kind of crazy, right? Um, wide receiver hasn't been so right. It's been pretty suppressed and it, it feels like wide receiver, maybe, maybe after some of the, maybe a little gun shy after some of the crazy spending and guys, you know, teams getting bit on paying these second, third tier receivers, you know, big money where it's coming back to earth a little bit. And there is more of a wide receiver middle class now. Um, and man, like I, I like this value better than the Lazard deal. I feel like, um, and, and Hardman, I think took exception on Twitter to being called a gadget guy or a jet sweep guy. Right. Um, or hopefully he doesn't listen to his podcast, then. but, but he, he adds, he adds a couple dynamics. A, he can, he can return. Right. So in, in a sense, he is a Barrios replacement, but he adds something that, um, certainly Corey Davis didn't add. He, um, Certainly, a Lazard doesn't add. Garrett kind of can do, but it's not a specialty. And and Elijah Moore could do, but also really not what you're paying him money for is stretch the field vertically, right? We have a lot of guys. When you think our tight ends, when you think Lazard, and when even when you think Garrett, a lot of guys that can work in the intermediate of the field and win routes, and and you can create separation that way. What we lacked was a kind of a. There's no price on a home run hitter, Joe, right? We got a home run hitter, yeah. a guy that can win vertically. Um, and, and that's good just in terms of what we can do with them. And and the cost is phenomenal, right? That that contract's great. Right. So not a bad deal, all things considered. I, I know that you were a big fan of it in the Discord. You were letting everybody know you were a big fan of it. And then, like mentioned, a few hours later, you get news of the Elijah Moore trade. Elijah Moore, and I forget what the pick was, 70-something to Cleveland for... A second round pick, which was pick 43, I want to say. So, you know, I mean, listen, I mentioned this in the Discord. I'm so sick of hearing the word value sometimes. Like, I understand you nerds, you capologists, you numbers crunchers, you want value, right? You want to, you want that Jimmy Johnson points board picks nonsense. Not not, not the Jimmy Johnson board. I don't want that one. 
Whatever. I don't care which board you use. Okay. Use a message board, use an Emery board, use whatever board you want. Use a surfboard for all I care. Okay. Water but board. We use a water. Well, that's what this off season feels like at times, but, <laughs> um, but here's the thing for me, I looked at Elijah Moore and this is why I understand the price is a little weird. The deal's a little weird, but I look at Elijah Moore and I see a guy who didn't want to be here. A lot of people are, are a little bit of revisionist history now, whether or not he likes Zach, his reasoning for requesting the trade was BS at the time when the team was winning. Right. And I, I really did not, I wasn't a fan of it then. I understand his reasoning. I still wasn't a fan of it. And I knew in my heart of hearts that Douglas wasn't going to let it fly. Right. So that's one point of it. The other point of it is if the jets are going to ship, I'm assuming at this point, the jets are going to ship one of the second round picks to, to green Bay for Rogers. Right. That's the logic behind it. And you, you trade a guy who maybe wasn't going to be in your offense or wasn't going to be a focal point of your op- offense, of course, for an extra pick that you can use and you still have a second round pick, you give up the third round pick, whatever. So I get that part of it too, but like, I don't care about giving up the third. Like that doesn't mean anything to me ultimately, because that second round pick you're getting back is going for the Rogers trade. Right. And I would much rather have the extra second round pick that we keep and punt on the third round pick because Joe Douglas apparently can't draft them third round anyway, but or he can't draft second round wide receivers too, apparently. But I don't know. I didn't think it was that bad. I know a lot of people freaking out because they they saw the potential with Elijah Moore. They saw that what he had in the six game stretch. They saw he was a young, controllable receiver. They saw this stuff, but the production wasn't there. I'm sorry. Like it just wasn't. And he dogged it on the field at times this year. We saw it. Everybody saw it. Uh, we saw the video of Tariq Woolen saying, Oh, well, this guy, he was talking to his teammates and he's saying, oh, well, he's lazy. He's being essentially being lazy in his routes and they were reading him like a book in the Seattle game. So it's not a matter of, oh, well, he didn't get his trade, but he still played hard the rest of the season. It was a matter of, oh, he didn't get his trade and he really legitimately does not give a crap. So listen, I'm you can rag on Joe Douglas for the evaluation of, of more ultimately, right? That's totally fair because when you're saying, uh, red star for his character, which is the highest grade you can give a player on his character, all that stuff, whatever. Ultimately, he didn't turn out to be that guy and they shipped him out. And I don't think it was that bad. I I really don't. So uh, I know you weren't crazy about it. That's fine. That's why we have a podcast to discuss these things. So Sliz, why don't you tell me why I'm 100% wrong in this take? No, man, you're not 100% wrong. No, it's fine. You could say I'm 100% wrong. It's okay. I know no, you want to. No, no, because I think like so so first blush reaction, right? I hated it. And when you look at it, right, it feels like bad value on a guy that should be part of the core, should be a dude that we're getting high dividends on, and we're getting two years of of cheap control for a wide receiver two type player, right? You you hate that you basically just created another hole. Um and you also a trend with Joe Douglas is consolidating capital. And granted when you're in win now mode, it's maybe, you know, there's more justification in consolidating capital, but it, it's been something it's probably been my biggest critique of his whole 10 years is overly consolidating capital when the roster needed as much work as it needed. Right. And, and just in terms of, like I said, pure value, it didn't feel like great return. A guy that we took top of the top of the second round, just two years ago now we're selling off for different charts value it differently you'll see um you know some of the one of the espn guys saying it was close to a fifth round pick um on the jj chart it the jimmy johnson chart it's close to an early third i think probably truly lies somewhere in between those um we're doing a lot of kind of just number math and i like the methodology of like the pff chart a little bit better than the Jimmy Johnson's chart. I think it's a little dated and doesn't account for modern values, um, rookie contracts, that sort of thing. But on the other hand, I think a fifth's definitely underselling it a little bit um, or maybe overvaluing the value of a fifth round pick. But all that said, so like when you think Elijah Moore, right? And, And so like my first blush is like, man, this is frustrating. Not only did we not only all of those things, but it's like you felt like there is reason for optimism. We changed the quarterback. We changed the offensive coordinator that that he seems to be 
that he seemed to beef with right and have issues with it's like all right we changed the two biggest things and then as i was thinking about it i was like actually we we didn't change the biggest thing and that was his pecking order on offense and in fact we probably made that even worse with the guys that we brought in with lazard already having a rapport with rogers with now introducing a Miko hardman which is probably you know we probably make that move largely in tandem knowing that we're probably moving on from Elijah Moore, especially with the bang bang. And I, I know they said otherwise, or, or maybe led you to believe otherwise in some of the interviews um, this past weekend. But you know, those are, those are complimentary moves. Um, and, and really the biggest thing, Elijah Moore was not going to be satisfied with this role in this offense being a third or fourth option. Um, and so with that in mind, it kind of, okay. S- solving the issue of getting him his volume, getting him bought in, that probably wasn't going to happen. If you're going to move him, even if you're taking a little loss, it's good to move him in a year when you need that asset and you need to hit on that asset, which is right now, right? That asset next year or the year after is a lot less valuable to our win now window than it is getting it immediately. Like you said, it does offset. It's probably either that pick or our pick, which I think they're back to back in the second round. We're, sen- yep. we're sending one of those. It's pretty clear we're sending one of those to Green Bay. Um, and I think when you when you kind of do the the shell game a little bit, and it's like, okay, if the Jets trade Elijah Moore, a twenty twenty four conditional pick for Aaron Rodgers, like that doesn't feel bad at all, right? When you're looking at the value of Elijah plus 74 plus 42 or whatever it was. It's like, Oh, that doesn't feel great. But when you just like plug Elijah Moore into that hole of, Hey, we send Elijah Moore a third and a 2024 pick. It's like, Oh, whatever. You know, it's not a big deal. We got Aaron Rodgers at the end right. of the day and we didn't send a first. So, yeah. I mean, listen, I think for me, the big part of it is not losing sight that he was very clearly influenced in a bad way by someone saying that, listen, you can't waste your career. And this is, this is true. I mean, I don't, let's be, all right. Let Probably me, let me take that someone's. Right. This isn't, it's not true, but it's safe. I think it's safe to assume that guys like AJ Brown probably got in his ear. DK Metcalf probably got in his ear and said, listen, you don't want to waste your career with a quarterback. Who's not getting you the ball. Right. Especially, and that, especially those guys just went through contract negotiations. Exactly. And especially AJ Brown's was messy. Right, right. Right. And and he ended up with a guy who he loves and he's been very public and very vocal about Jalen Hurts and, and loving him and, and doing it. So I, I understand those guys telling. And to be fair, it's a hundred. Elijah Moore is not wrong necessarily yeah. to want to play with a quarterback who's going to get him the ball right now. I have questions about his his future in Cleveland because you look at Amari Cooper is going to get his touches and I know he's a free agent after next year. Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to get his touches. And on top of it, you're talking about an offense that's a run-heavy offense with Kevin Stefanski. And I understand that he hasn't had a Deshaun Watson for the majority of his tenure there in Cleveland, but they still haven't been able to put together a top-flight passing offense. You look at all of the offense ranks through the year, and it's always been an emphasis on running the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem, and Kareem Hunt, and it's always been an emphasis of that first pass second, right? So I'm curious about the fit. I mean, I don't, I, I think that Cleveland is saying to themselves, yeah, you get a controllable receiver beyond Amari Cooper. But the, to me, ultimately, I, I, I'll I, be 100% honest. I don't care about Elijah Moore. I just don't. Because it's one thing to, like I said, it's one thing to be in love with a player's production, right? And, and it's one thing to see his tape really flash and say to yourself, you know what? This guy's got all the goods. And we saw it. We saw him flash in 2021. He had the six-game stretch. But when I look at the season and he lost patience quick in the middle of a winning streak, and then he essentially quit the rest of the season, it's like, I'm sorry. I I just don't I don't care about Elijah Moore. I don't, I just period. I just don't. Like he hasn't lived up to it. And one more thing before I let you go, but when you look at Garrett Wilson, and I know Garrett said he had his locker room thing where he said, you know, the offense needs to trust the passing game more, blah, blah, blah. But Garrett Wilson popped off with 1,100 yards this year. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Elijah Moore can complain all he wants, but the ball was there to be had. And I understand that we're feeding Wilson a lot, but why does one guy get the 1,100 yards and then you get what you get, you know? I, I don't know. I just, I'm so, have fun in Cleveland. Have fun in Cleveland, dude. You got what you wanted. He got his quarterback. He got to change the scenery. He's going to presume maybe he'll get his touches. I don't know, but he got what he wanted at the end of the day. 
I think this point needs to be said too. And I was pretty bullish on Elijah Moore, right? I, I, I think we I all thought, were. We all I, were. I, I thought sure. if, if he stayed here and stayed with the offense, he'd get volume. He'd put up a good year. But people are very, very overstating how good he was last year, even without getting the ball, right? For sure. Where you, you'll, you'll see film cut-ups and stuff of, oh, man, he's always open. It's like he, he's not open on half of those. Or it's like it's just not realistic to get – like he's open because he's the backside dummy route, right? It's right. like, like – it Just it, because the guy's open on tape doesn't mean the ball's supposed to get to him. Right. right. So I, I just want to say that that point is very, very overstated. Um, there were times where he did win and we didn't get him the ball, but I, I don't that that's not the sole issue. It wasn't all in the quarterback. A lot of it, a lot of it was it wasn't all in the offensive coordinator. A lot of it was, I think, his usage was wrong. Um, it's kind of the whole thing. And and at the end of the day, yeah, he handled it terribly. And yeah, he's I mean, gone. Listen, it feels a little bit bad, but hey. We're, the curse of the second on. round. The curse of the second round wide receiver, man. Just never draft a wide receiver hey, in the second round. Joe, Joe Douglas uh, continues, and and I'm not counting Jeremy Ruckert because that was a uh, compensatory pick that we got in the trade back. Joe Douglas, after picking Jabari Zuniga, Zuniga, um, he's like, man, after whiffing on him and Ashton Davis, I'm not picking a third rounder ever again. <laughs> right. He, he shipped them all off in the AVT trade. He shipped ours off in the, the Jermaine Johnson trade up. So yeah, we did get record back and that, that picks looking bad too. So yep. we'll see TBD, we'll but not looking great. Yeah. So he's like, man, I'm, I'm done with these third rounders done with seventh rounders too. Yeah. But. It's, it's a whole, the, the whole Elijah Moore thing is just like, again, I understand wanting to fall in love with the player because you see it on tape or whatever, like you see the potential, but the production wasn't there and it probably wasn't going to be there moving forward. So he's gone. See you later. So now, so as we talk about our potential replacement and for Elijah Moore, and that's one Odell Beckham jr. Who he's had some flirtations with the jets. They've everybody's been pretty public about it. Joe Douglas mentioned it, that they've been in contact. I don't know what you're getting from Beckham at this point, to be honest. Like, paparazzi in the bushes getting us <laughs> snapping a pic of Odell and Sala man hugging it out nice. is what I'm getting love to see know. it I'm, but I don't want to I don't want to pay Odell a lot of money I I have a lot I have a lot of concerns there I think obviously his hands are going to be good it's the rest of it right and and I talked earlier all those intermediate guys I I I don't necessarily know what extra dynamic Odell adds to this offense is my biggest thing with him. Right. And, and that's not I, like, I, I think there's concern about Odell just as a, what is he as a player? Yes. Two years, year and a half removed from injury, major injury, second major injury of his career um, on the wrong side of 30. What is he as a player now? Can he, I know he's been a separation guy his entire career. Can he still do it at that level um, where you think maybe he'd add some possess to us would be in the red zone, but that's where you have a Garrett Wilson. That's where your tight ends in your run game. That's where a, a six foot, whatever tall Alan Lazard is going up and winning above the rim, right? That's not where we need him. I think he's a good add in terms of getting another guy in the room that you can trust in high leverage moments. A guy that if you do have someone nicked up for a couple games here or there that he can fill in pretty seamlessly and be a productive guy. But I don't think he's the game changer that he's being painted out to be. And that's where if he was, he'd be signed by now by someone. I'm not even saying the Jets. Right. And that's where getting getting the difference of how teams perceive him and in the suppressed wide receiver market in general versus what he feels his value is and what's going to get him to hey it's worth getting off the couch to play again for that yeah, right and and finding that middle ground so i i think he'd be a good ad i don't want to go north of six seven eight ish yeah I'd certainly over 10 is you, you lose me there for a guy that's going to be probably in a shared wide receiver three type role that can't do teams um, and hasn't stayed healthy for a season in a long, long while either. Right. right. It's, it's not even just his, his, the, the magnitude of his injuries. It's just, he always has injuries. Right. And he's, he's not, he's not getting younger. Right. Right. We saw it with Julio Jones and I know they're totally different players, but Julio fell off a cliff, man. Right. 
same thing could happen. Yeah, I mean, with Beckham, <laughs> listen, the thing about Beckham is I, I haven't been a big Beckham guy, right, for, for a long time. I mean, at the, at the beginning of his career, his talent was undeniable, right? Like, this guy was otherworldly, game breaker. 2014 was a long time ago, man. Like, that was a long time ago. And the problem is, like you mentioned, Sliss, several times, he's a guy that's coming off injury, a major injury. And he's a guy that the Cowboys were flirting with for a while last year. And they said, you know what? We can we can pass on Odell now. So And they, and they needed a third and they needed it. bad. Right, right. And they really and a needed him. Push. Yep. And, and Odell even tried to, I think he flipped the script a little bit saying, you know what? Uh, you know, I don't think the regular season is really worth it for me, blah, blah, blah. But that was just saving face because it was apparent that nobody really wanted him, I think, ultimately. So, listen, if he slots into this when when he was when he was traded or he landed with the Rams, he played a pretty decent, he played a sizable role. He was he was pretty good, man. I mean, he wasn't again, he wasn't the game breaking talent that he used to be. But I think he caught like six touchdowns for the Rams or something yeah. like that. Like, I mean, if, he, if, he didn't look he didn't look half bad. But again, that was a year and a half ago now. Right. Almost two years ago. So it's like I, I don't know what what you're getting from him at this point in his career. It's like price got to be right. Price got to be right. If you could give me LA Rams Odell for an entire season, I'd sign up for that for 10 to 12 mil easy. Right. Right. But that that's not, he's not just in a time capsule. That's, you know, there's a mystery box element to it. And and all the mystery is, is fading negative. Right. Like that, that is your probably ideal best case scenarios, LA Rams Odell. And you, you, there's no way you're getting that. So it's what percentage of that are you getting? And that's, that's hard to know, man. Right. For sure. So Sliz, uh, before we, we're actually having a guest on this podcast. I failed to mention that at the beginning, but before we get to our guest, when he, when he joins us in a few pretty uh, sizable Aaron Rodgers trade update yesterday, Brian Gutekun says uh, Packers GM says that a first round pick in the trade is not necessary. I think so let's, let's be honest, us reasonable level headed Jets fans understood that to be the case. We know that there's probably not going to be a first round pick on its face involved in this trade. You're looking at a second round pick and maybe a conditional third, conditional fourth with, with you know, if Rodgers plays, if the Jets make it to the divisional round, if they host it, whatever it is, right? That's probably the trade that's going to happen at some point. And it looks like from reports, it looks like the Jets and the Packers are discussing what trade compensation in 2025 if Rodgers decides to call it quits and after the season, then maybe the Jets get a pick back in 2025. So what do you make of the most recent developments in the Aaron Rodgers trade saga? Yeah, it feels close. I think closer than maybe media let it to be believed. Right. <laughs> right? Um, and certainly anytime you get all the guys together, all the coaches, all the GMs, all the owners together at one of these shindigs, that helps facilitate moves, right? For sure. I think you see that there is the news here. I have it up on the side from Charles Robinson, basically saying it's for two two high draft picks. It's likely to be the the second round pick this year and probably a second ish next year. Um, and then really the sticking point is the Jets are wanting that Aaron Rodgers retirement or. I'll say Aaron Rodgers retirement protection plus it's more probably Aaron Rodgers injury type protection or, or failure of performance protection this year. So I, it doesn't sound like the comp, comp the the comp pick next year and scaling based on how good we do this year is really the hangup. It's more on that quote 2025 kickback, which right. is it's a unique um, I don't know. It's not something you see all the time. And I think it's very appropriate here. I see why green Bay wouldn't want to do it, but also I don't know that. It, and I don't even think just from the just perspective, but I, I don't think it's something that, that should really hang it up. But For sure. For sure. So it is our pleasure, our great honor to introduce the host of the turn on the jets podcast, jets, Twitter, die hard jets, Twitter, stalwart Towson football legend, the one, the only, Will Parkinson. Will, thanks for joining us, bro. Really appreciate it. Thanks for hopping yeah, on, Jeff. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, guys appreciate it. nothing going on in Jets world. Oh, no, no absolutely not. No, never. never is. Man, I, yeah. I, I should have grabbed the backwards hat from upstairs, I know, man. you missed the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
when we get to video, we'll we'll see how handsome Sliz is, like I always say in, in our intro. But uh Will, so we so we got a few questions for you, obviously, and in, in the Jets world. We just got this we just got done discussing the Elijah Moore trade. And I am on the fence of like, I, I'm sorry, but I don't care about Elijah Moore because I think people fell in love with the potential more than production, right? And when you have a locker room guy who wants out during a losing streak, even if his reasons were justified, even if he hated the quarterbacks and they were bad, that's fine, whatever. But I wasn't crazy about it. So what what were your thoughts about the Elijah Moore trade? Where do you kind of, where do you fall on that fence? Yeah, I think, I thought about it in a couple of different senses. One is the great value to trade a guy who's a 34th overall pick two years later, you know, 22 years old with team control for another two years, making a million bucks for basically a glorified third round pick. If you, in, in terms of like what the real value is, right. If you just operate the trade in a vacuum, if you didn't know anything else that was going on and you just said the jets trade Elijah Moore in a three for a two, you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's tough. Like not, not great value, especially updated, some of the updated draft charts, like it's equivalent to a fifth round pick, all these different stuff. That said, it's not operated in a vacuum. The Jets are looking to add multiple different weapons at receiver. They added McCall Hartman. Odell is basically, once the trade gets announced, you feel like Odell is going to be announced as well. And they needed that second, another second round pick, which is crazy to think about. That they now have, you know, three top 43 picks. It makes it a lot easier for them to move one of these second rounders. So, again, is it a great trade? I don't know. I mean, Elijah, if you really want to be harsh about it, Elijah was injured three times as a rookie. He had the concussion, multiple quad injuries, the missed significant time. And he really only had that five game stretch where he was awesome. He's like number those numbers over a year is, you know, thousand yards, 85 catches, you know, but they got blown out. The doors blown off in three or uh, three of those five games where like he was, he was quote unquote really good this year. I felt like he's a little bit more siloed. He kind of, is really just a slot guy. He can play outside from time to time, but again, is he going to be a productive outside receiver? Clearly the answer is no, based on the way he was used this year. He was never going to be the team's one. Was he going to be happy with that? He's not going to be the one in Cleveland either, but I just felt like positionally in terms of what they want to do with this offense, not sure he's the best. He wasn't going to be the best fit again. Could they made it work? Yeah, of course. Like maybe, but he was going to be what fourth in the totem pole in terms of touches. You know, at at, sure. at its peak, is he going to be cool with that? They won by 30 in Green Bay, and he requested a trade on a four-game win streak. So, or three-game win streak, whatever it was. Um, yeah, and like I said, lastly, like, that pick is going to be used probably to get Aaron Rodgers. And then they're going to be able to still bolster the offensive line. If you tell me you're basically flipping Elijah Moore in a three for Aaron Rodgers, like, I'm sorry, I'll take it. Right. That was Sliss's point, too. It's like, if when you look at the trade from that perspective, it's like, so I said, man, like ultimately, like you said, well, it's it's not operated in a vacuum. And for me, and I understand the value. I'm so I was telling Sliz before, I, I just don't care about the value discussion sometimes because it's like the value discussion takes out all context of everything that was happening, everything that was happening. And ultimately, the Jets got uh, Garrett Wilson's going to be your number one. Obviously, Alan Lazard's going to be your number two. And when you have those two guys and then Elijah Moore baked in, it's like, OK, well, where does he actually fit? Right. Where's the fit? So to your point, he wasn't going to be happy with that, even if with Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. So uh, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, Liz, why don't you why don't you let Will in on uh, your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers trade and, and hit oh, him with boy. a question? Yeah, well, let me add one thing to the Elijah thing. I thought, Will, you, you touched on something important, right? And in terms of when you look at this roster, there's only a couple spots that really need help. Right. And we're looking really offensive line and, and interior defensive line. Certainly you think that extra second that we have now is probably going into one of those two spots and where you look at the value to get like from a value perspective. And I was looking at the last four or five drafts of what did teams have to trade to move up from 74 to mid early second round. You're paying more than a early third every single time. Right. And that's where it's like, man, I felt like an early third just in terms of value feel felt bad, but it's like, man, if you're looking at what it truly takes to get up to mid second, early second and get what we're probably hoping to be a day one starter with that pick that we're eventually going to use, you're, you're getting decent net value. It makes it when you look at it from different angles, it doesn't feel as bad as just the vacuum. Oh man, we sold off Elijah early for for pennies. It's like no, it's yeah, it, it'll it'll work out. Think about it. Right. If you said if you said to somebody, you know, I, I saw a couple of people, of course, and my mentions. Oh, you should have. 
the Jets should have included a fifth, not a third. Okay, so you're telling me that Elijah Moore and a fifth, like, I guess it's not a really good example, but to trade from 74 to, to 42, it was going to take a lot. Like, remember how much the flack the Jets got for trading from, I believe, 23 to 14? Again, different trades, or how much flack they got for the Brees Hall trade last year. Moving up one spot in the second round, they still had to give up picks, right? Or moving up from, I believe, what was it, 30, 36 to 26? It's like they gave up multiple picks there. So, again, the Jets don't really – they kind of net the same. They still have six draft picks. I'm sure they'll probably end up with five, I'm sure, as we'll get to. Uh, but they'll still have a top 43 – two top 43 picks – in addition to being added in Aaron Rodgers, you kind of have to feel good about that. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Right. So, so, so Will, before Sliz hits you with the Aaron Rodgers stuff, I just want to let you know, we spent the first 40 minutes of this podcast, just chanting leverage and, and pounding our desks, like leverage, leverage, <laughs> leverage. That's all we were doing for 40 minutes. So uh, Sliz, yeah, why don't Joe you. Told, Joe told me he was getting a tattoo with, with leverage on it once <laughs> the trade goes through. Right across my right ass cheek, Sliz. How about that? But uh, Sliz, why don't you why don't you uh, ask Will or, or lead Will in with some of your Rogers thoughts before you hit him with the with this conversation? Yeah, I mean, just in general, and and I think it's been interesting, especially with the Lamar stuff happening this week and him re- formally requesting a trade and basically just brass saying that they're not in on it at all. I, I, I've said from the beginning, even when Derek Carr was still on the market, even when Jimmy G was on the market, Aaron Rodgers felt like the right solution for the Jets, given the window. And certainly you're hoping that's with two years. It feels a lot worse if it's only a true one-year push. Um, feels like the cost that's being basically reported that we're shooting for that that second round this year a conditional second next year and then hopefully getting that kickback pick to protect us in 2025 if he does retire that feels like cost that most of jets nation jets twitter is kind of landed on um it feels pretty good and and while his cat his contract kind of sucks it we're pushing all the cap out to 2025 anyway that's that's a problem for a different day and hopefully it's on the back of two years of successful playoff runs i'm excited i think jets fans in general should be excited about aaron Rodgers, and it sounds like it's pretty much there we just got to get we got to bend uh bend green bay a little bit more and and make them cave it it feels more like an optics play on their end at this point where Mm -hmm. they don't want to look like they're getting bent over but they they i think they have more pressure to move them than we do yeah, look at if you look at the the Schefter report from, um, I don't know if it was today or, or a couple of days ago, the Jets started their offer potentially at apparently a conditional four, uh, um, <laughs> and and they wanted the Russell Wilson package of multiple ones, uh, multiple twos, potentially a player, and then other picks. The fact that we've settled that. Like the Packers, the Packers have no leverage. The only leverage they have is that the Jets are just outwardly like signing guys and thinking they already have Aaron Rodgers on the roster operating as if he's the quarterback. So sure. From that perspective, there's leverage. Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. He's a wild card. Hey, I, I don't believe that Aaron Rodgers was 90% retired in any way, shape or form. I think that is total. That's another leverage play. I'm going to post the clip here in a few minutes. He said, but in training camp this year that he was planning on playing at least three more years. So I'm not sure where all of a sudden it's like, He's now all of a sudden just like dude, he is once they drafted Jordan Love, like it, it pissed him off and he won two MVPs, two COVID MVPs, as he likes to say, with his <laughs> COVID toe and whatever. The Jets are going to be getting a healthy, good version of Aaron Rodgers, whether they get the elite version. That's obviously we don't know just because Tom Brady looked kind of like Aaron Rodgers did in 2019. And then he won the Super Bowl and threw for 11,000 yards in two years and threw for like 100 touchdowns. And you're like, this guy's 44 years old and still a, a Martian, right? Like it just, it didn't make any sense. And not for nothing, that Bucks team was good. I don't, it's like, I kind of feel like the Jets are kind of similar, right? Whereas Jameis was a huge problem. They needed one or two pieces of the offensive line. And then boom, they, you know, they pretty much, you can make an argument. They should have beat the Rams that game too. And it's like, I don't know. I just feel like the Jets are in a good spot from the price perspective. I've been saying it for a while. I thought a, condition, a two and a conditional two, I'm curious though to see. I saw people point out today what they do with the 2024 pick. Is it like if he retires by if by the draft he's not retired? Is that a stipulation in there where like the pick could change in 2024 one way or the other? Um, 
it's just it's hard for me if if you're keeping 13 i think anything else is a win right like you have to at some point you're gonna have to give up something so like, absolutely right you know right it right. just i think people would fall in love with these draft picks and i like a lot of what joe douglas has done um let's also be honest the second round was good last year um the year, previous two years not so good uh so it's kind of a crapshoot second i think i asked people at the common mind of the senior ball i was like what's the deal with second round picks i know it's a bit of a tangent but what's going on with second round picks because i feel like as a kid growing up you're kind of instant starter right like or not instant not, starter, not on the jets man not but on the jets. they're like the second round <laughs> belichick said it famously that like the second round is the hardest like round to evaluate guys because they're either first round talents that have huge issues um for one reason or another this is a premium positions more so or they're guys that you're reaching and hoping they hit a potential yes running back places like that you get the Brees halls of the world that like they're only in the second round because they're running back they're obviously should have been a first round player it makes sense but then you've the Denzel Mims of the world, ultra talented, probably, you know, you could argue as a reach at, you know, at the pick he went or um, an Elijah Moore didn't go in the first round because people thought he was a slot guy. And guess what? <laughs> He's a slot guy. Right. So um, I think the Jets, dude, getting Aaron Rodgers and fixing the quarterback position instantly competing for a Super Bowl and what he does for them from a brand perspective, the guys they're able to bring in, whether you like Odell and Clay Campbell or Zeke or whoever these, you know, Ben Jones, all these different guys like. None of these guys would become maybe one would be coming to the Jets. Maybe Clay Campbell would still be interested because Salah, but the Jets are in a Super Bowl conversation now that they just weren't going to be other than if they signed Lamar or traded for Rodgers. Everybody else was going to have them in the wild card. Maybe they win a playoff game. Now it's dude, they could win the division. And like I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Um, they haven't hosted a playoff game, obviously, since they blew Peyton Manning out by 40 points in 2000, what, 2002? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a long time ago. So, well, we were looking at the offseason so far, not, not a whole lot of movement here or there. You know, obviously, Mikael Hardman, we talked about the Elijah Moore trade, but what is your your favorite acquisition so far, non-quarterback acquisition? Because that'll be everybody's favorite when they land Rodgers. But, uh, you know, one more time, let's just, let's just chant leverage in, in unison. But uh, um, <laughs> what, what is your favorite your favorite non-quarterback acquisition so far? Um, Favorite non-quarterback acquisition. I might go be Cole Hardman only from the perspective of I feel like underratedly look Braxton Barris did a lot of really nice things two years ago. I think he was a guy that's really well liked um, started off the year nicely. I don't know what happened after the Vikings game. I don't know if his like he got the yips or offensively he wasn't the same player and special teams wise he was definitely not the same player and they nope. started losing field position over and over and over again it felt like no kick return came out over the 20 and it must feel like they lost yards on that every punt was down inside the 10 not really confidently catching i don't know what happened it had to be mental cuz the physical talent there was an all pro the year before right and like was really productive on offense felt like he was like that new Wayne Corbett catch yep. all these different tough balls against the jags remember he hit the one against like hit by three guys on third down you're like wow okay yep. Every, um, everybody said that, man. I mean, even I said, I told Wayne Corbett, I thought Braxton Berrios was the new Wayne Corbett, which looking back on it is kind of insulting. But uh, I think everybody thought like, well, this guy's tough. He's, you know, he's shifty. He can move. He's a pretty clutch guy. And then I don't know. I just, I, mean, I just don't know what happened. I don't know if it's the drop against the, like, I honestly think if you said if one guy in the Jets to catch that ball, like I probably would have picked Berrios just knowing he never dropped anything. It's not back Garrett Wilson or any, like I just, he was really reliable. Um, and then something changed and to basically replace McCall Hartman with Barrios, McCall Hartman's just a better football player at this point. Um, I think that's not just being, it's being objective. He's multiple times Super Bowl winner. He was a guy that the second round pick, you know, generational speed, not just fast, but like ridiculous. Take the top. If he has four or five plays like that, the one he had against the Titans this year or plays like that it's worth it, right? If he one punt return for a touchdown, one or two kickoff returns, that changes the season, changes the game, especially in the playoffs. So yes, there's a health concern to the back or the core injury uh, that, you know, he missed, I guess, what, 10 games really, including the playoffs, but he'd been healthy before that. So I'm not really worried about that. It's a one-year deal. I just think when's the last time the Jets got a young ascending player that is coming from a contender that's taking a one-year prove-it deal to like reestablish his market. Like that doesn't happen really for the Jets. Um, usually it's the one-year deal because they were on a bad team and also bad. It was like a it's usually it's like the Jared Davis of the world that were 
prove it deals mm. of um, I was a draft bust. This is a guy that is not a bust at all. It's just Kansas City wasn't going to pay him. Um, he probably thought his market probably wasn't what he hoped. But if he comes to the Jets and has a nice year, now maybe he's signed with the Jets again. Maybe not. Maybe he's somewhere else. But um, I just think it's a it's a low risk, high reward move where um, some of these other ones I'm not sure move the needle quite as much. Right. But the thing with Hardman too, right? And and you touched on hey hey he is that game changing ability where it, it could just be one play, right? And, and I think that gets glossed over. Like one. Hardman's not going to be a wide receiver one, two option. Like he was in Kansas city the past couple of years, right? He he's in the utility belt somewhere to break out. It, even if he only has 10 snaps of play, if he's dynamic with those 10 snaps and, and I know Jets discord's probably sick of me bringing up Will Fuller. Cause I was standing on the rooftop saying, Hey, we should bring in like a Will Fuller type. I know he's always hurt, but it's like, man, if he has one of those games where he has like two catches for 110 yards and a touchdown, that changes the, that wins you games in and of itself on 10 snaps. And that's all it can take. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I'm with you on the McCole Hardman thing. I think he like he's going to be an impact player for us. I know there's questions about Hackett's ability to use McCole Hardman properly, but I think you, you start to see it a little bit. Um, over the past couple of years, and and I know he wasn't in Green Bay, but certainly Rodgers was, and they were using Christian Watson a lot on those jet sweep type motions and, and certainly the long balls. I think that Christian Watson role that Rodgers was using him in last year, that's probably pretty comparable um, to what we're going to see him in this year. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's a, at, at the cost we got him at, that's a, that's a knockout out of the park signing, no risk. And when you're talking ring chasers, that's like, he's probably the top of the list of, like you said, a, a young guy that is kind of moving more into a more complimentary role to reset his market. And he's like, Hey, I want to go play with Aaron Rodgers. That's the guy I want to reset it with. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Alan Lazard was a big factor. I was like, mm. yeah, okay, okay, man. Whatever yeah. you say. <laughs> uh, so, well, just a few more questions for you before we start to wind this thing down. Uh, what, what, what has been your least favorite? acquisition of the offseason so far i mean it, the big one has been i don't want to say it's my least favorite but alan lazard was obviously the big ticket free agent so far but is there anybody else who maybe you thought you know maybe we shouldn't have resigned this guy or you know solomon thomas is you know, top of the list but what, yeah. are, what are your thoughts on the uh, offseason your least favorite acquisition uh you kind of mentioned one and then there's one they didn't do which is a backup quarterback uh it's a problem and i it can take one of two ways the way that the tweets went out yesterday. It was not really the way Robert Sala said it. I asked a bunch of people. I was like, what actually was said? Um, they said he's the number two quarterback as of now, based on the roster. There's only two quarterbacks on the roster, which is Chris Trevler and Zach Wilson. So I guess Zach Wilson's technically the backup to Chris Trevler at the moment. Um, but in all seriousness, they need a backup quarterback. And that's a reliable. Van Rogers goes out for a week with a COVID toe or a concussion, whatever it is. They need somebody that they can trust to go in a game in a playoff race. And, you know, in the perfect world, yes, it's Zach Wilson. And the most dream world is Aaron Rodgers wins two Super Bowls and Zach Wilson finds his draft, you know, pre-draft, uh, you know, Carolina Panthers game, Zach Wilson, and the Jets magically run into the biggest luck of all time. That's just not realistic. Zach Wilson's going to get a million reps during the preseason. He's going to play the entire Hall of Fame game. He's going to play probably every single snap of every single all four preseason games, they're going to try to trade him, and that's that. And But, you know, you let Mike White, who, again, I'm not saying Mike White's great, but he was definitely a competent NFL backup. The Jets won games with Mike White against good team, against, you know, a good team, obviously. Um, you know, two years ago in Cincinnati, they beat Chicago. They should have beaten Minnesota. He obviously gets hurt. They almost beat Buffalo. Like, he's a, he's what you want in a backup, a 4 to $5 million guy who is 26, 27 years old, knows the offense well. Like, that's what you want as the backup quarterback. And to have to let him walk to a division rival where the Jets will play Mike White this year. It's just a lock. All right. Two is going to get hurt. <laughs> um, and my, again, it's not like scared of Mike White, but it's more of you let a guy like that have to walk out of the building because he's, he went, he didn't get that crazy of a deal. I know it was two, two for 16 on paper. It's really like one for four and there's a bunch of incentives. So it's just disappointing that the backup quarterback market's kind of gone at this point, I guess. You could, there's some guys you could pivot to. Maybe you bring in Cam or something. I don't know. You go crazy and just have the most toxic locker room of all time. <laughs> um, but then a defensive tackle, there's still time. Obviously, Clay's Campbell, Puna Ford, um, you know, Ashawn Robinson. Those guys are out there. But the they let Sheldon Rankins walk, who was really good last year, and 
you have just have Solomon Thomas and Solomon Thomas was objectively their worst defensive player by like bar none. I know everyone hates the Marcus Joyner. He still had four interceptions. Like Solomon Thomas had nothing great guy, but um, unfortunately way too light to be playing um, as an interior defensive lineman at this point. So yeah, I guess there's not like a least favorite signing. It's there's just the lack of defensive tackle and, and backup quarterback or two spots where is it going to make or break this team? Probably not, but it's unfortunate. I feel like there's still time, but you got to address those before uh, before we get into camp. And backup QB specific feels like it's going to be a hard one to fill. You, you mentioned it. It's already pretty dried up. There's, I think Teddy Bridgewater might be out there, but that's about like the guy. He's like Bring one Teddy of the home, names man. Bring that you maybe <laughs> maybe comfortable with. Um, certainly probably not like a Carson Wentz that talk no. <laughs> toxic locker rooms. That's probably bringing him and cam for a, a QB two camp battle, man. Good God. Fun. But, uh, yeah, that, is that, that hard, hard knocks? One. Is that hard knocks calling? Like I hear. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they'll tune in for. That'll get the ratings. I'll get butts and seats. Carson yeah. Wentz and Rogers talking about vaccines would do numbers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There we go. Hey, we, we need to send the script in, man. <laughs> All right, so why don't you finish out this uh, next question before we get to the landing strip? Yeah, man, I know, I know you've talked about uh, when Jets when Jets fans come on the TOJ pod that they, they have a breakout season. Who who's going to be the the gold the gold nugget? Who's the breakout guy this year? Who any any uh, any scoops any any secrets you got coming up the sleeve? Let's see. Um, I guess it's not really necessarily. I'll go three. I'll go three potentials. Um, okay. Two of them have been on the pod recently and then one's coming on i'm gonna say lincoln tomlinson's gonna have a bounce back years at least being a league average or above league average guard which i think is all they need him to be just be solid um i think stability at left tackle will help stability with better center play will help quarterback play will help i think all of those things he's i know for a fact he's been absolutely grinding and and kind of getting his body in like best possible shape i mean not that everyone doesn't do that so i'll go with him as one I think Tyler Conklin's going to have a, a big year. Um, somebody that just had a productive stat line, but like I felt like kind of had ups and downs throughout last year. I feel like he started off slow and then had a really nice stretch in the middle. And then towards the end of the year, kind of just the whole offense, I guess, went, went to the can. Um, and I think Michael Carter had a really good, um, really nice year last year, but I think is a guy who might three, four, five interceptions. Maybe he, he talked a lot on the pod about, there was just so many plays, especially against the Patriots. He said they counted um, in film five or six interceptions he missed um, in terms of penalties. Obviously, we know that one of them. There was a couple. Mm-hmm. There was the one with the Jordan Whitehead where he like clotheslined him, um, and a couple other ones where he like he's a guy that I think because the other two guys get so much recognition and because the safety play should be better, the offense should be better. He might get a couple more opportunities to maybe he's a Pro Bowler next year where. Um, as a really good slot corner. So I'll go with those three. Um, depending on who else comes on the pod, then I can maybe change my answer. But um, for right now, we have to go with those guys. And you no, have those, the, those are good gotta, names. Yeah, you got to have the Jet Fuel podcast host on your pod. Help us yeah. get to uh, help us I get know. to 100 followers. That would be great. But uh, <laughs> all right, let's 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 close this one out, boys. Uh, this is the landing strip. So, Will, I, I let you in on the landing strip concept before we started this podcast. So so what's on your mind, friend? Anything fun? Anything exciting? What, what's uh, uh, what's your so stream of consciousness? In, in, positive, in positive news, the Yankees finally made a decision that I, yeah. can, that I can support and I actually think was the best baseball move, and they took the stubbornness out of it. Um, Anthony Volpe is awesome. He's been awesome for the last couple of years. Like his numbers in single A, double A, triple A, or were like pretty elite. I mean, the dude's crushing the minor leagues to be going 50 stolen bases, 20 plus homers, 80 plus RBIs um, at the age of 20 in, you know, in, in double A and, and some in triple A is very impressive, especially for a kid that like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. East coast, East coast kids in high school position players usually don't go yep. in round one. Especially New to, Jersey kids, man. Especially New, New Jersey, Jersey kids. kids. Short just, short seasons, cold weather. I mean, they're not playing in Virginia. They're not playing out west. They're not playing. Yeah, in Texas. you yeah, just, you're sure. not getting that that develop. You're not not that you're not getting development. They're still super talented kids. It's just usually right. they don't get as many reps. So the Yankees making that move, and then I also just think that they're in a position where they're actually the roster is actually really young in a lot of spots where they need to be young. Um, 
I'm obviously concerned a little bit about people getting excited about Josh Donaldson changing his stance for a week in triple in like the end of basically in glorified double A pitching. That's a concern. Aaron Hicks is obviously one of the worst baseball player I've ever seen. And uh, Domingo Herman's a horrible human. But if once they get those three guys out of the way, the Yankees season, by the way, torpedoed last year when Josh Johnson started out with the White Sox and called him Jack, Tim Anderson, Jackie, and it was yep. a whole problem. There's They went from 41 and 19 to league average again. Um, but getting Volpe in the mix, Peraza eventually would be up there. Eventually, maybe down the line, we get Dominguez and Wells and a couple of these other guys. I actually think legitimately – this might be the first time in a long time where you feel good about the big names, but you also feel good. Like there's youth and the big names. Now they're also in their prime, which is just not happened in a very, very long time. And having Volpe not having to have all the pressure with judge around, I think is going to be going to be huge. Honestly, it takes pressure off judge. All we're talking about yep. Anthony Volpe judge coming off one of the 10 best seasons we've ever seen. And like, yep. no one's talking about it. So um, I still think they can win the title. I think, you know, I think they're in a good spot and, I, you know, hopefully for the city of New York, the Jets and Giants and Yankees and Mets are all going to be really good early on again this year in September and October. And we're going to be set up for a, uh, for a fun, uh, for a fun little run here. Obviously, hopefully the Yankees and Jets dominate though. Yep. Yep. I mean, the thing with Volpe too, watch on New Jersey native. Yeah. Shout out to Jersey guys, man. I'll tell you that. So that's, it's exciting. I'm excited for Volpe um, at the risk of turning this. I'm not going to turn this into a baseball podcast because half of our listeners will turn out, but you know, I, I look at this move and I'm like, you know what? If if Brian Sabian wasn't hired and if Omar Minaya wasn't hired, I feel like this is not a move that Brian Cashman makes. Because it didn't almost, seem like he wanted Peraza. Yeah, it it almost feels like a move out of like I need to save my not save my job, but I'm feeling pressure, so I need something to spark this team type deal. So not to say that Volpe didn't earn it because he absolutely did in the spring and he was the best option, but the fact that it took until this point to determine whether or not he was going to be the opening day starter is just uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, I don't know. And and I was looking at the list of baby bombers. I'm like, all right, so Aaron Judge MVP elite, right? Miguel Andujar gone. Gary Sanchez gone. Luis Severino always hurt. Labor Torres on his way out. Greg Bird gone. So it's like they need it. They desperately need it. They they Dude, really do. Tyler Wade and uh, Tyler Wade Tyler gone. Austin. Tyler Austin gone. So it's like Most of these guys are like out of baseball too. They're not even yeah. They're yeah. not even on other rosters. They're yeah. just awful. Clint Baby Frazier bombers. gone. Gone. Yep. Another one. And I love oh, Clint. Jackson. Had... Jackson Frazier, right? It's not Clint uh, no, Clint. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's. I think he's back to Clint now. I'm, I yeah. thought he might have gone back to Clint, but I don't know, man. I was like, maybe Clint. it's not Clint the name is the reason you suck. Maybe it's just. <laughs> maybe he's just not a good baseball player. Could be. Could be. Uh, Sliz, what's on your mind? The total change of gears. I know I mentioned it on Discord, man. I have watched so much Monsters Inc with my Hell toddler yeah. it's like it's been her movie I've, either monsters inc or she calls it monsters 2 now but monsters university those are good movies man but I, I swear i've watched one one or both of them every single day for the past three weeks man phenomenal movies but it just get ready when you when you get uh when yours gets up to two man it's that's all you're gonna do they're gonna have one movie and that's all you're gonna watch <laughs> so you know the secretary Roz, the secretary oh, yeah. with the i used to do a killer impression of Roz. oh man you have to prag- that, that sounds like next landing strip you gotta break I gotta, it out i'll break it out i'll break it out on rare occasion but uh yeah i love monsters inc man will you ever yeah. see monsters inc hell yeah. yeah of course of course hell i've yeah. seen it not my not my top disney like type of type of movie but it's definitely definitely high quality high quality stuff big fan of monsters Inc. hits you right in the feels oh, so yeah. uh my landing strip thought, uh, you know, not not a lot, a whole lot going on recently, but I did play Warzone last night with some buddies and I got a win, which is a very rare occurrence for me. So that was exciting. But uh, knowing you're the the alpha dog on, on you know, beating out these other teams is, is great. You know, a bunch of other basement dwelling, mouth breathing losers. Be- be- you know? Beating up some middle schoolers is, is what you're saying. Listen, man. You're like, like hey, me- match, match me into the 15 year old lobby. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you you hear the way some of these fifteen year olds talk, okay? I mean, we have some of them in Discord, so you get oh, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you got to put them in, put them in their place, man. <laughs> you got to put them down. You have to, you have to. It's just the way it works, man. Virtual space. No one's there. No, take no prisoners in the virtual space. But uh, so that'll do it for this episode of Jet Fuel, the Jets Discord podcast. Obviously, you already found us, but you can continue to find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review where applicable. It greatly helps us. You can find us on Twitter at Jet Fuel Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Sliz, where can the people find you? 
Yep, find me at sluz underscore nyj. And Will, where can the people find you? Uh, Will on or sorry, Will PA eleven. Um, Will Paul eleven on uh, on all socials and uh, turn on the Jets podcast um, anywhere you get your podcast. And uh, episode dropped today and tomorrow and Friday and a bunch more uh, much more content to follow. We're getting that worked, Sluz. We're getting that worked. I'm sorry. Hey, just... hey Will Paul is the hardest hardest working dude in the Jets space. I will. Dude, say I, you, you are. A I grinder, try, man. man. Yep. I try, man. You are I, a grinder. Keep it a, up, dude. It takes a it takes a lot of energy, and um, but you know what? It's it's worth it, man. It's fun. It's uh, I I enjoy. I mean, most of the time I enjoy it. Sometimes, sometimes some tweets and things <laughs> get under my skin, but usually I try to ignore it and just have a good time, man. You know, it's, that's uh, the virtual fun game. Hey, we're getting Aaron Rodgers. Like, this is what fandom. Like, this is the apex of. If fandom. you can we're enjoy, if you can year. enjoy what's going on right now, um, dude, the Jets are linked to like six different Hall of Future Hall of Famers to come and try to win a title oh. with the Jets. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's fun. Yeah. Like, it's a cool yeah. thing. Yeah, I don't care if it lasts a year, two years. They they're sustainable for fifteen years. Who knows? But trust me. Like, even as a Nets fan. As much as the last three years ended up maybe not being quite as fun, like the fact that the Nets were in every single conversation on every single major media conversation and they were in the title hunt and they had Kevin Durant, like it was really fun. Kyrie Irving, not so much, but like just knowing you have <laughs> knowing you have uh, a Hall of Fame level quarterback and you're going to compete for a Super Bowl, like you just people have complained for 12 years on making the playoffs. Now they're in the Super Bowl conversation. Just enjoy it. Yep. Yeah, it's fun time. time. Fun time to be a Jets fan. Uh, as always, you can send us an email at jetfueldiscordpodcast at gmail.com. And Sliz, how can the people join the Discord? Yep, hit us up, discord.gg slash nyjets, talking all day, every day, man. Yep, we got, a, we got our um, off-season, we got our uh, rankings, the AFC East stuff coming soon. We got to do that. So uh, that'll come at some point, maybe next week, maybe the week after. Who knows? But, you know, we keep it loose here. Uh, but uh, for Will Parkinson, for Matt Szilard, I'm Joe Rivera, reminding you, you can't take flight without Jet Fuel.